Welcome to uh, this version of our podcast, What's the Score? Let me remind you that if you enjoy today's podcast, or any of our podcasts for that matter, to please press the like button on whatever format you're listening to the podcast on. Also consider supporting us by uh, joining us on patreon.com and show your support for the program that way. There'll be details to follow in the middle of the podcast. Once again, thanks for listening and enjoy today's terrific interview as well as some amazing film music. Today's program made possible by patrons like you. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it all covered. We talk to those in the entertainment industry and find out about their favorite scores. You found the podcast, What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and let's see what we'll be hearing today. Recognize that music? It's a favorite of our guest today. Now, our guest has been writing music for film and TV since the early 2000s. His style is varied depending on the project, from classic Americana to icy orchestral and jazz. His credits include projects for PBS and other TV and film productions. He's also an accomplished instrumentalist with a wide variety of genres, which his choices of cues will basically demonstrate. So I hope all of you will join me in uh, welcoming Andrew Willis to the program. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Frank. It's nice to be here. Uh, nice to meet you. Same here. What do we say these days? We Nice to e-meet you, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> nice to e-meet you, yes. Yeah, you know. Nice to meet you virtually. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, full disclosure, folks, we're not in the same room. <laughs> surprise, it's surprise. Magic. But anyway, I appreciate you joining us, Andrew, very much. And it's looking a forward to pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And looking forward to learning about you and your career and, and also uh, sharing with our listeners some terrific uh, music choices that you have provided for us today. Um, cool. Looking forward to it. As my listeners know, I always like to find out a little bit about the, the man behind the music, I guess, if you will. Mm -hmm. So if you wouldn't mind, maybe outside of the music world, if you wouldn't mind just uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, your you know, growing up and family and hobbies and things like that. Yeah, okay. So uh, um, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, um, a small family. I have one brother. Um, uh, it was a pretty normal suburban lifestyle. 
at that time, I would say. Uh, grew up in the 80s and uh, went to high school there in my neighborhood, Okalona, which is in the south end of Louisville. And uh, around the late 90s, I moved to Boston to go to school. And I just stayed here. And I've been here since 1998. And um, yeah, my life is pretty boring outside of music, honestly. I'm married and uh, we like to go hiking, you know, eat good food, watch movies. It's a pretty normal lifestyle, honestly. Yeah, and note to wife, our life isn't boring, okay? It's just, <laughs> it's just maybe to others it is, but but my life isn't boring. It's just <laughs> yes. Yeah, Boston, it's a, bo- I'm, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was I was just going to say, no, life is good. It's I have a pretty chill existence, I would say. Yeah, yeah, part, and you know, and I'm you know, I'm grateful just having, to have that. Yeah, I know, and I'm and I'm just having fun with you on that. It, it, yeah, yeah. Boston is a terrific city, and I've I lived in New England for a number of years, and so I'm very familiar. Oh, where'd with you it. live in New England? Um, well, we don't need to go into my whole life story, but uh, <laughs> Stowe, uh, Stowe, Vermont. Okay, all right. I was if you're familiar with that, uh, I am. Some of my listeners may know I used to own a bed and breakfast there, and. Uh, oh, we nice. used to have a lot of visitors from from Boston, and of course, I went down. To, I, I even believe it or not, I even worked with the Boston Bruins hockey team a couple of years for team building events. Team building events, Amazing. and uh, um, very familiar with Boston. It's it's a great city, but it doesn't strike me as a hotbed for a film composer. Kind of talk to me about that. Well, it, yeah, it's not really. Um, I came up here to go to Berkeley. As you can imagine, I went there for a year. And uh, after a year, uh, I was trying to just weigh my options because I was paying for it myself and it was very expensive. And um, I just started looking around to see who was a working composer in town. And uh, my friend at the time was working at WGBH. So she helped me find some names in their database and whatnot. And I called up a couple and I, I guess I just hooked up with this guy, John Kuziak, uh, in town who was working, he was a working composer and he just said, come on over, you know, let's, let's see what's up. So, uh, I went over and we just hit it off. He had lived in the Midwest. I'm sort of from the Midwest. And, uh, he just said, you can come back tomorrow if you want. And then I ended up working with the man for like at least 15 years. Wow. Um, started as kind of his assistant then moved into, or started more like an intern, then assistant, and then uh, by the end of it, we were co-composing scores and just basically working in partnerships artistically. It was a, it was a good thing. Okay. And, uh, he's gone from being a boss to a mentor to being a very close friend over the years. Yeah. Well, how neat. That's neat how that works. Yeah. And, now, and, and then I got married to somebody and ended up staying in Boston. So, or Boston okay. area. And the somebody was very special. Let's just make that public. Okay? Yes. Absolutely. It's not just yes. a somebody. It was somebody very special. <laughs> so, yes. So We are still together. So that tells you everything you need there, to know. That, that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 love, I love some of your choices and I uh, for music to play. And, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit that I'm not familiar with some of these. But I'm anxious to hear them. the uh, The cool. first one that you chose is from the composer Nina Rota. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess the name of the film, if I'm not uh, mistaken, is uh, Fellini's Casanova. Uh, right. You wanted to play a couple of cues from this film. Tell me about why you wanted to choose that amongst uh, some of your favorites. Uh, this one, uh, this score, pretty much hits all the marks for me as a music fan. Um, 
the movie is very bizarre. It's extremely surreal. Uh, Donald Sutherland is the star. He plays the Casanova character. And uh, I believe it won an Oscar for the set design or the costumes or maybe both. But the music uh, by Nino Rota, I don't know what Fellini told him, but it was basically like, he was like, just do whatever you want. Go as far as your imagination can take you. So like, <laughs> I like weird music and uh, I love Nino Rota's music. Um, I, I, you know, I like the circusy stuff and all the surrealistic elements of a lot of his scores for Fellini, but this one had, the instrumentation is just, a, for me, it's amazing. It's like a, the opening piece, uh, track one that I selected starts off with like a glass harmonica. It's got a, you know, he mixes orchestral instruments with like some strange choices, electric piano, glass harmonica, a very deep, loud electric bass. Um, it's just, uh, the you know, Nino Rota's melodies are just earworms forever and his orchestrations on this are just marvelous. Um, there's not only, there's touches of motifs to go throughout and even if we don't get to the second one I chose from this, I'm gonna quickly mention it because the second piece is like, a, it's sort of like the theme for his um, his exploits as Casanova, if you will. It's like a diegetic music where he's getting ready to do what he does and he has this mechanical bird, like an animatronic bird that he cranks up and, he, and you can even hear it in the music. I don't know if Rota used like a ratchet or whatever, but it's just a, the very mechanical and beautiful music but like really oddly almost sounds like a sequencer music it's the piano the electric piano is playing all the way across the range these really wide strange arpeggiated passages it's just otherworldly cool music i just it just hit for me it hits all the all the things i love about yeah great description we'll we'll play both and uh, let's uh let's listen for ourselves this is from composer nina roda and the film is called Felinus Casanova. Enjoy. Thank you. 
So we didn't get into it very much, but I mean, I, I, I'm assuming obviously you had an interest in music and you must have studied it. So I'm, I'm, what I'm kind of curious about is that there's all kinds of way directions you could go with mm-hmm. an interest in music. Why, uh, why film and TV music? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I started out like a lot of people did by playing guitar, and uh, I studied in Louisville with a this amazing musician named Jack Bringle, R.I.P. He was just an incredible guy. His stories were amazing. He had he played bass and guitar. He was a virtuoso on both. He had toured in Buddy Rich's touring band, so he was just like a salty old jazz guy with just the harshest style in the lessons, but it was lovable in a way, if you can believe it, being berated by this old jazz dude. Um, he berated me because he thought I could be good. So I went on and played in a bunch of bands in the 90s. I started, one of them had horns in it. I'd never written for horns. I started writing for horns. And I just started seeing, you know, I always loved film music as a kid. And, uh, you know, like Godzilla. And, you know, one of my choices today, I'll go into how it has been one of my favorites since I was a little kid. Uh, no, no spoilers. But anyway, uh, by the end of the <laughs> '90s, I was kind of had hit the end of what you know. I was just like, this is not really. I'm not going to start touring and making money off this. I was playing too experimental of music. And my friend, who I moved to Boston with, suggested she had gone to film school and she suggested getting into trying to get into post audio. You know, I was interested in recording and stuff like that. And um, I started doing research on places where I could study that. And then I was like, wait a minute, what about film music? I'm writing this music that's very visually oriented. Hmm, maybe that's something that I could explore. So, I mean, I was Uh. kind of 50-50 when I moved here. Maybe I was going to do a little of each. But uh, then the move to working with John, um, he started to let me write cues very quickly in our relationship. And I just had, you know, I'm not going to say I was great at it or anything, but I I had something that was worth exploring. And then the rest, you know, year after year went by and I got a little better and started doing more and more stuff. So it was kind of like that. It uh, it inspired you, I guess, right? In other words, it was yeah, just something, yeah, oh, wow, yeah. I, fi- I, I finally found what I'm supposed to do in life. Right, right, exactly, yeah. And, you know, I, I was at least halfway decent at it, so I could, you know, build on that a little bit. You know, I didn't have a lot of strong compositional knowledge, and, you know, I hadn't really even touched a computer until I moved here. Um, so it was a lot to learn, but, uh, you know, I had the time to do it, so it was good. And yeah. while I was getting experience i'm gonna get off topic and i and i don't want to have a lot of time for it (laughs) but i am curious because you brought up something that's really important i I, yeah i'm you know you don't need to know how old i am i'm trust me i'm old but yeah (laughs) but but, you know but (laughs) but in the old days it was like you had a piano you had a movieola uh you know and and you maybe had a click track or something like that and then mm-hmm. the director would come in and you'd play on the piano. Well, this is what it's kind of going to sound like. And then all of right. a sudden you had computers that could almost, for all intents and purposes, duplicate what the full orchestral store, score would sound like. Um, right. Did you, was that was that something you didn't, you weren't aware of in the beginning, but you had to kind of like acquire that knowledge? Yeah, like... Uh when I said I hadn't used a computer, I mean, like, I literally had, maybe, I did, probably did a few things with a word processor when I was originally in college, <laughs> but um, I had never heard of sequencing software. Had I learned about that as a younger guy, I probably would have been obsessed with it early, you know what I mean? But, like, yeah, I yeah. was more like a four-track cassette building, tra- you know, building music by layering and stuff like that guy, but... Um, 
Yeah, when I first got into it with John, this will this will date me. Uh, we were mixing the score for Errol Morris's movie um, Mr. Death, and John had a three quarter inch deck with the movie on it that he was had this big jog wheel. I swear to God, the wheel was like eight inch diameter that he was scrolling the movie on. So. That was, the computer was part of it, but there was also like these other hard to sync components and it was fascinating to me. That stuff quickly went, that, actually that was the only project we ever used a three quarter deck on that I can remember. And that stuff went away quick. I mean, I got <laughs> in it right when everything exploded. You know, people started, you know, people were sending DV tapes that you would transfer to, to make a quick time. Then suddenly out of nowhere, people were sending quick time movies instead of any hard copy. And I was just like, yeah, wow, this yeah. is. Yeah, the, Woo, the days fast. of the movieola were long gone, weren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, exactly. I, I, I'm going to guess that I anticipated what you were about to say earlier in terms of mm -hmm. an early influence, and that is, and, and this involves one of my favorite composers, and I'm delighted you chose this. I'm talking about composer Jerry Goldsmith, and the film is a Planet yes. of the Apes. Tell me a little yep. bit about why you wanted to include that today and amongst uh, some of your favorites that, to share with the audience. I would say, yeah. Well, I mean, this movie is one of my favorite all-time movies. I mean, not only just the music and the sound and the the, the over-the-top Charlton Heston performance and all that, but the story is amazing. The sort of like way it relates to modern society is just marvelous. Uh, but the thing that besides you know, mean gorillas attacking humans. As a kid, <laughs> the music just pulled me in, right? The um, the percussion was like something I'd never heard before. Yeah. And, um, you know, the I didn't know what it was at the time, but the use of percussion to create like the ape sounds, the the friction drums and stuff like that, that, that Jerry used to, I mean, it was just like the clusters, the, the sweeping, sounds the ram's horn uh it was just like everything that a kid you know i was a science fiction kid i came up in that era like star wars and all that right but like this movie would was on tv late on friday nights and stuff like that and um it was just like everything i wanted out of a movie score at the time uh and over you know as i grew older i started kind of dig digging into it to see a little bit more how he made it and, you know, learned that he used like a 12 tone row and created, you know, like the motifs built off the 12 tone system. And, the, you know, there there's like a dyads that he built off of the 12 tone that that are used. You know, the, the motifs that he used were just throughout the movie. It wasn't just like once or twice. He was using them and reinterpreting them and reorchestrating them over and over for the whole thing. It was just masterful. I love that guy. Yeah, no. It Absolutely amazing, and 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 just one example of many in his career where he did innovative, created innovative sounds depending on the project. Yes, so, yes, he was, he was so good. Yeah, he was so good at just like blending sounds together to create like a new whole. I mean, it was just you know the, his first star, the Star Trek score is amazing too. Yeah, yeah, that, that one that one pops into my mind. The first Star Trek. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is, again, uh, from the film Planet of the Apes. So there's two cues here we're going to share with you. Uh, and it's written by the maestro, Jerry Goldsmith.
So I'm curious to get into the mechanics of, of uh, when you're working on a project, mm-hmm. you, you've done film and TV and that sort of thing. So I'm kind of curious, which and it's a very broad question. Maybe I need to narrow it down, but I'll just let me just ask it this way. How is it that you how is it you approach a project? In other words, OK, you're going to do, you know, film or TV show X, Y, Z. What are the steps you go through in order to, to, to make it all come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and it is quite broad, but I'll try and keep it brief and <laughs> hit my points of emphasis. I mean, like, I, 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 it took me a minute to realize this. I mean, I, I realized it pretty quickly, but I'm, a, you know, playing in bands and stuff. I'm a pretty good team player. So, like, the first thing I do is I just want to talk to the director and see what they're thinking. You know, like, I find that most people will have an idea in mind of what they're kind of looking for at least a at least a jumping off point you know maybe it's just like a a descriptive phrase about like what some music should sound like um sometimes oftentimes i should say i'm getting into the project after they've already started putting temp music in place um and that that's a blessing and a curse at least you kind of know what they think is working but also if depending on how long it's been there you know it can become a challenge to replace it but um yeah, I usually just have a quick, you know, a couple conversations with the director and the editor. I try and get them both involved because they're both the ones who are the most connected to the score. In right. My, in my in my experience. And um, then, you know, I just like it depends. I, I, I go all different directions. I mean, I've started a film with no music at all. And then I've started a, a film late in the game when they're already picture locked and they have all their temp music in place and it's just a matter of going through and replacing it all. I'm not sure I prefer that method, but uh, it is a way to work. I mean, I just start getting an idea of like little themes, a motif here and there that works for a certain, you know, maybe a film has a main character or maybe it has like feelings that become a character like say for instance uh an internal you know uh internal struggle of a character that's going to be a certain kind kind of cue um a comic area of the film would be another kind of cue and maybe there's just like three of those kinds of cues in in a in a film that then you just have like a little thread between between them and try and connect them all together i'm not it's a little bit tough to describe in words but it can go i mean mean, there's like all kinds of different ways that i would attack it but i definitely like to try and come up with some thematic ideas that i can create sort of a cohesive score in the end with does the temp track um i guess that now i don't want to prejudice your answer (laughs) Temp tracks. Um, mm-hmm. How does that help? Well, it helps sometimes when it helps. Let me rephrase that. It's because you kind of get like the tone they're looking for in the music or like maybe maybe it's a tempo thing or maybe it's like a, not just a tempo, but like, say, for instance, a piece of music that's continuous or a piece of music that has like little episodes like a chord with a gap then a chord then a gap you know what i mean so like it can kind of get at least give you the idea of the kind of music that somebody thinks works with a scene you know know what i mean 
Yeah, and, and what I remember, I remember Kevin Costner talking about when he was making his film Dances Wolves, and my audience will know mm-hmm. I'm a huge John Barry fan. I'm just, you know, that's just, he's my number one. But, but I, I remember Kevin Costner saying, look, you know, this is one of the things I really don't know anything about. So I'm kind of relying on you. I'm handing this to you. You know, make it mm-hmm. better, um, and, and and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to trust you to make it better. And and right. I'm kind of curious. I mean, are there a lot of directors out there that have a real keen sense or understanding of music, or 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 even for that matter, are musicians themselves, or are most of them kind of like me that they don't know anything about <laughs> music. They just know what they like. I would say it's a 50-50 split. Okay, that's fair. I know, yeah. I know a lot of people have – I have actually heard somebody say these words. Uh, I'm trying to get direction, and they're like, uh, just try some stuff. I'll know when I hear it. Which <laughs> yeah, is like the, that'd uh, be me probably. Like, yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. That's very helpful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't worked with – I haven't heard that in quite some time, which I'm happy to report to you, though. Yeah, no, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Another uh, film you chose to uh, share music from is, and I remember seeing the movie, but I, I, I have to admit, I, I really, I don't remember the score, or, or maybe, let me guess here, this might have been the remake. Where uh, the movie I'm talking about is Tron. No, this is the original movie. Yeah. Okay, and is which is what I saw, 80s. and I, and I'm ashamed to say, I just, I really don't remember the music, and I, and I don't know the composer, Wendy Carlos. Tell me a little bit about why you wanted to choose that to, to share today. You do know Wendy Carlos. I do. Because she wrote the music to Clockwork Orange. Oh, geez. Okay. Yes. Um, I chose this because this movie I went to see with my dad and my brother. And actually, it's a, two, it's a two-pronged reason why I chose this. I love Wendy Carlos. I love her story. I love her music. And although her film... I. Her music that I love the most is from an album that's not a film score. It's called Beauty and the Beast. And it's more like microtonal music with a lo- with some gamelan type elements. But the reason I chose this one was because not only did I love the music and the movie when I was a kid, and the music holds up, uh, it's, I, I wanted to have a synth score here. And I also wanted to just highlight Wendy. I mean, she needs, she's, she's so good. And um, the Tron Scherzo, which is one of the two tracks I chose, not only is it in the movie, but I remember it even more so from the arcade video game. Uh, It was like, (laughs) it was one of the pieces of music that they had made like an 8-bit version of to play throughout the game. I just remember spending a lot of time in my (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how old I was. I was in middle school, probably uh, yeah. playing the doing the light cycle race on the video game with this theme, blasting in my ears, and it's just left an indelible mark on me. Um, this music is also like I don't know how many people had been marrying synth works with orchestral work at that time. I mean, I think this came out in eighty or eighty one or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but um, I mean, it was like. I don't know. It's the first one I remember where, you know, now it's common practice, right? Because you, everything's so easy to lock together. But it, then uh, it's like a synth score that she brought. I don't know if she, I think I read somewhere that she was, she had produced a, the synth score and then scored around it for the, for the symphony orchestra to play along with it. And it's just, from what I read, was a very challenging at that time 
undertaking. But uh, well, I think it worked. Ed, ed, and educate it's so alien me, sounding. Yeah, educate me and my audience because it sounds to me like uh, Wendy Carlos. I'm assuming a a, a, a female lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're talking about Clockwork Orange, you're talking about there weren't almost any film composers that were female that were working at that time. So, well, sounds to me also, like she was she was really. Uh, uh, She's I'm a pioneer. My word, but I mean, she was just a, you know, she was ahead of her time. She was ahead of her time in many ways because she was also like one of the first prominent trans composers. She okay. was born born Walter Carlos, and so you would know her from Switched On Bach. Huh. And those things okay. That were happening in the '60s. She helped Bob Moog develop the Moog synthesizer, and I can't remember what year she transitioned, but it w- must have been like early 70s 70 71 something like that and so um i just think that she was a pioneer in many ways and this music is just crazy well let's uh, let's have a listen yeah let's have a listen for ourselves again this is from the film a couple of cues here and this is going to be from the film tron and the composer is wendy carlos
We'll get back to our program in a minute. This program is done for the love of film and film music, plain and simple. However, it does take a huge investment in time and in fees for me to make the program work for you. And I don't sell commercial time and don't really want to on this program. Rather, I'm kind of like a, a public broadcasting station. I need support from listeners like you. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me uh, uh, offset the time spent in putting the program together. Or maybe you just think of it as leaving a tip in the tip jar. Either way, if you can join up, there will be bonuses, like an additional 10 to 15 minute segment with our guest every week, where we'll play additional cues as well as ask us some extra questions. And it's going to be only available to patrons. How do you sign up? Well, it's simple. You go to patreon.com slash what's the score, and that's all one word. That's Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash what's the score. Check it out. We'd be grateful for your support. That's Patreon.com. Um, I, I, I'm kind of curious, and, and I, I don't know if you yeah. have a f My audience certainly knows how I feel about it, but I would be interested in your views. I, I, being someone that sounds to me like, you know, you've been into film music for quite a few years, how, mm -hmm. how has it changed over the years, if, if at all? Or is it basically the same as it's always been? Or has, has it gone through kind of a, an evolution or a transition? That's a good question. I mean there seem to be more people making film music than there ever were before. And the tools are so much more ubiquitous and easy to get your hands on than they used to be. And the, I would say just like it, there's a lot more technology that makes it 
easier to make your music sound good than there has ever been in the past. I'm not sure how I feel about the quality of music versus what it used to be. Uh, I would just have to watch every movie and TV show of all time to really have a feeling about that. But um, Bear with me for a minute because actually you've brought up an interesting point. Um, Are you... There's not a right or wrong answer here. How do you feel about the fact that that there's potential? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's going to happen. There's potential that basically live instrumentalists, live orchestras, could potentially be replaced with computers. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I don't see it happening. <laughs> I mean, like, it, <laughs> I mean, when you go to like the Symphony Hall in Boston and hear them play some, you know, say they were playing like. Uh, uh, Bartok Concerto for Orchestra, for instance, you can just never, a computer could make it close, probably. I mean, like, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but, like, there's just something about that feeling. And I agree. Like, in in my scores, if, if I just, like, want to have real musicians, even if it's just, like, two or three string players playing over the samples, I want the the uh, spice, the like tang of like the slight out of tuneness. I want to hear, you know, I, I feel like you can tell the difference. Even people who don't know the difference can like subconsciously tell the difference. Mm. In my, I mean, maybe I'm crazy. It might be all pie in the sky, but um, you know, I hear, I watch TV, I watch shows and I can hear omnisphere patches that I've used before in TV shows. And I'm like, that's, you know, like, that's great. Those, they do sound great, but I just want to like, run them through something so they're just a little more messy i guess everything is very perfect sounding i yeah no i i understand and and, and, and i've had people that tell me my wife amongst them who's musically trained or whatever she said well you have a good Mm -hmm. ear you know and i okay fine Mm -hmm. but there are times i still can't fit a, a detect some of the subtleties that that you're referencing but but at least consciously i can't but like you said maybe right. subconsciously i can and it's uh i don't know I th- i'm probably just kidding myself here just fooling myself to think it i can i can hear it in my music when i have a real string player in there even if it's just one percent mixed into a sample but um i'm probably nuts about that as well <laughs> oh, gosh i mean yeah i know but i mean there's something about I'm not going to be able to express this well, but there's just there's a human element, especially something like music, art, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. emotion, and those sorts of things. It 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 it, it, can, it shouldn't and can't be mechanical. It has to have right. something behind it. And yeah, sometimes there's a little bit of a screw up, or you know, whoever knows, you know, whatever it is, or but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just I I think about. Um, are you familiar with the you you familiar with John Williams' score for uh, uh, Schindler's List? Yes. I mean, gosh. I mean, if that were played by a, a computer, I don't know if it would be the same as it was played by Ixod Perlman and 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 you know all the emotion that goes into that. No, absolutely not. It would never be the same. I mean, any piece of music. I mean, like okay, so my take on sampled strings they they sound plausible and and believable when you're playing a section but once the solo strings start you can hear them you can just tell yeah. you just don't have the depth and the the you know the 
human grip on the on on the fingerboard of a violin you know there's just something like unperfect about that even the best players yeah yeah and i think that like i think that grounds the stuff and makes it makes it feel more even if it's not overly emotional music you just feel it feel the human feel it better yeah 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 um another one of the uh accused you chose and i am familiar with this composer not this particular piece the composer i'm talking about is howard shore uh, I mean, mm-hmm. what the, the the name of the film? Do I have this right? Naked Lunch. Correct. Uh, tell me a little bit about you know what went into your uh, wanting to include that in today's favorites. The reason I picked this one is um, it popped on a on my um, Apple Music shuffle the uh, like a couple weeks ago, and so I dug the CD out and revisited it, and um, the movie is bonkers the score howard shore um i don't really know his work that much outside of the um some of the stuff he's done for david cronenberg is who is the director on this film and the lord of the rings stuff which i wasn't a huge fan of that those films at all but this movie the the real selling point for me is uh the saxophonist ornette coleman uh being involved in it Mm -hmm. and um uh, at the time this came out, which was the early 90s, I may have seen this when I was in college. I can't remember where I first saw it, but I was just starting to get into like the free jazz movement and buying. Uh, I had already bought a couple of Ornette albums. I think it was The Shape of Jazz to Come and Tomorrow's the Question. And I had no idea what the music of this was going to going to be, but I had already sort of like, you know, I'm a college student. I'm reading William S. Burroughs and, and you know, um, you know, it's just doing college student-y things. <laughs> I, had, I had that, uh, that I think I had on cassette that his Brian Geisen, um, uh, this is Burroughs, his Brian Geisen uh, cut up audio tapes. So I think it's called Break Breakthrough in Gray Room or Breakout in Gray Room. So I was already in all that stuff. So when I went to this and then I heard it, I was like, oh my God, there's Ornette Coleman. He's just like, it's like this big wall of sound orchestrally, almost like a Bernard Herman on steroids with a huge bass, uh, at least in the opening piece. And, uh, but then Ornette starts improvising over it on alto sax. And it is just one of the nuttiest combos that I could think of. And it's totally unique. I'm, it, at least at that time, I thought it was going in retrospect. I learned out later, learned later that, um, Ornette Coleman had written an orchestral album. Uh, it's called uh, Skies of America, I think. Uh-huh. And so I don't know if Howard Shore was familiar with that or not, but um, I just thought it was a great juxtaposition of like a more standard Herman, Bernard Herman-esque movie score, but with like this crazy edition of a free jazz alto sax blowing over the top of a, of a beautiful, gorgeous or, you know, string orchestra. So right. I'd never heard it before. All right. Well, let's have a listen for ourselves. This sounds interesting. This is from the film Naked Lunch, and it's written by composer Howard Shore.
One of the things I noticed in your uh, bio mm -hmm. that was mentioned was that you're an accomplished instrumentalist. So I got to <laughs> ask, what instruments do you play? Well, as I mentioned, I started on guitar. Um, I'm mostly, I would say, fairly accomplished on guitar and bass, although I'm working on my piano always. And recently I got a drum set uh, in my oh, basement. Wow. And I've been spending the last few weeks um, kind of getting getting down with that a little bit. Just uh, it's good exercise and it kind of opens up my mind to other stuff a little bit. I can kind of zone out and play around with rhythms and see what you can do with the sound of the drums a little bit. I love percussion. I think that came through when we were talking about the Planet of the Apes. Right. So it's just a, it's a nice different approach to have it down there and um i haven't tried to record it on anything yet although um i did record some real drums on um one of my projects that we'll be talking about in a minute but uh, okay yeah. it, i mean it, i'm it, not sure i do i do a, i do play bass in a rock band uh right now with um this guy roger miller from mission of burma who is a a seriously individual dude um I, I recommend everybody look him up and uh, check out his work. He is okay. uh, quite a character. Now, all right. Now, here here's a stupid question from someone that <laughs> uh, uh, again doesn't doesn't you know read music or play music or anything like that. It, yeah. Are is there really like sheet music for a drummer? Is there like something you look at so you know when you're supposed to beat and how you're supposed to beat? Is that is that yes. question make sense? It does, and there is. There's total totally is. Um, a whole set of notation for percussion instruments. Um, it's not note heads per se, where you're to play a C and then a F sharp and an A, but it's like X's with, you know, it's, 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 you can tell it's music notation, but it doesn't look exactly the same. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, for, for composing, it would mm -hmm. seem to me that, again, I, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. But for compo <laughs> but for composing, it would seem to me that piano would be like the 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 key instrument to kind of as your starting point. Does that make sense? Yes, and I I totally one hundred percent agree with you because I wish that I would have started on piano. But the keyboard players and bands were always nerds, and uh, the guitar <laughs> players were always cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about like from a twelve year old's perspective. Yeah. Um, no, seriously, the piano is just like total logic, right? There's only one of every note, whereas a guitar, there's like sometimes four of, of some notes. Mm. So, yeah, it's, uh, yes, I cannot disagree with anything you, you say there. The piano is just, it's great. I it, wish it, I it, had more time to put into it, actually. Is that what you primarily use when you're working on a project, is, is the piano? Yeah, I have a... I have a keyboard, you know, a MIDI keyboard here. Right. And um, when I'm in the composing stage, I use a, a bigger one. And then when I'm moving on to like the next stage where it's more like editing or I don't really, you know, I don't need to hit high notes and low notes at the same time. I just have like a little tiny one off to the side. Um, but yeah, the, a lot of my ideas even come off of the piano downstairs. Sometimes I'll just play a, a little bit of a couple things and record them on my phone and then later bring them up and kind of flesh them out a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Most everything I, starts there. Yeah. It, again, going back to the old days, my time, I guess, if you will. That, uh -huh. And I don't know if you... I, I, I'm curious if you ever saw this this piece of film. 
there was a uh, a documentary about the making of Jaws, and uh, uh, they have this uh, piece of film where uh, Spielberg's sitting down with John Williams, and John says, mm-hmm. yeah, I've come up with the theme for the movie. And, and Steven says, this is great. Okay, let me hear it. So Williams gets on the piano, and he goes, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Right. And Steve, uh, that's it? And he said, and John Williams, yeah, that's it. But trust me, it'll sound really great <laughs> when we record it. Yeah. You've got to trust John Williams. That's what we learned from that. Boy, no kidding. No <laughs> kidding. And, and, you know, of course, the rest is history. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, you know, we... we, we a, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say there's a, um, a really wonderful um, video of Angela Badalamente uh, talking about the writing the main theme to Twin Peaks that you should watch ah. sometime where he, he, like, is playing it and describing what it was like when he played it for because he was basically like writing it while David Lynch was next to him telling him what what was happening in the scene according I've to seen his, this yes according to legend yeah and it's like so good <laughs> i mean i could watch it every day for the rest of my life and never Boy, get no bored. kidding I, you know it, I, I i i'm a big fan of his i mean i i, I yeah he's I, amazing I, 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 some of his stuff is just it still gives me goosebumps and at uh, the city of lost children oh my god yeah, and, and you know, from Twin Peaks was terrific, and then you know, believe oh, yeah. it or not, one of the one of to me one of the best pieces of, of music he ever wrote was the theme for the for the TV show Inside the Actors Studio. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I didn't even know he did that. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm oh yeah, and, and and there's a version. If you go on YouTube, you can find the you know like mm. the complete version is like nine minutes long. It's which is unbelievable. <laughs> but but um, gosh, I mean that is just so powerful and emotional. It's just he was amazing. Um, anyway, that's yeah, off topic. Uh, you he know, really was. We, we, we've spent time talking about lots of other composers. It's time we share the work mm-hmm. of maybe one particular po- composer, that being <laughs> Andrew Willis. Now, I noticed right. that you uh, had uh, wanted to share with us uh, cues from a couple of different projects that you worked on, one called Citizen yes. Sleuth and the other one called 29 Needles. Tell me a little bit about uh, about those cues and, and, uh, and, and what they will demonstrate, I guess, about, you know... Uh, where your talents lie. Yeah, okay. So um, let's start with 29 Needles because we'll okay. end with uh, the most recent one, uh, which is Citizen Sleuth. 29 Needles was a, a, a psychosexual horror thriller movie that a friend <laughs> of mine made in Baltimore. And I would say it's of, of the Baltimore tradition of very... Um, I'm doing air quotes here, provocative uh, movie styles, uh, meaning to say that it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, oh, okay. In the tradition of John Waters, but in a more horror uh, uh, direction. Wow. So the uh, score of that um, was one of the more experimental scores I've done. Um, and I'll talk quickly about Amputation. I see that's the second one I gave you. The um, scene was framed in this even though something very grisly was happening in this in this in the scene the framing of it was like reminded me of sort of like a a japanese house or a temple uh, it was a like very symmetrical looking with these bone saws and surgical instruments laid out very neatly almost like a somebody's instagram post oh or something. my gosh okay and um so the music there uh I decided to use some 
bells. We have like a my wife and I have a collection, a small collection of like prayer bells. Okay. And uh, it's a very collagey piece of music. I used sort of like a, a homemade glass harp using just glasses from our, you know, just wine glasses and glasses from our kitchen. And then um, an effect where I had uh, made a loop on a bass guitar, an electric bass, and it started um, exciting the snares on the bottom of a snare drum. And it was uh, created this strange off unsettling oscillating sound with the snare so I recorded that just with a handheld zoom recorder and that became sort of the basis of the ambient sound of it but huh. it turned out to be this like piece that kind of starts like it's going to be pretty with the bells but goes into this extreme uh, drone of terror I will say and uh, that's that's that one okay and the other, the other one being Citizen Sleuth and Citizen Sleuth is the most recent project I just finished. It just had its premiere at South by Southwest. And it's a, a documentary about a true crime podcaster. And the piece of music that I selected for this is uh, the, the Arrival at Mile Marker 181. I don't want to give away too much about the film because it's brand new. But uh, I will give a quick anecdote. The director and I, as well as the cinematographer, have all, or the DP, excuse me, have all worked a little bit with Errol Morris in the past, the, the uh, documentarian who lives here in Boston. And uh, he gave me a little direction at the beginning um, to check out the score to A Thin Blue Line, and he told me a specific cue. And so, you know, there was a little Philip Glass being sprinkled in my ear holes, and uh, this is the cue I came up with for the arrival to mile marker 181. And in this cue, um, I used my old Radio Shack synth for the low synth part. And uh, this is the one where I have a 1920s uh, orchestral bass drum in my basement with like calfskin heads. It is the deepest sounding drum I've ever heard. <laughs> and I used that, hit it with a mallet in here and it's just sounded amazing on the big system. And uh, it was in Austin at the uh, Alamo Draft House. It sounded awesome on their Dolby system. The bass mm. was just incredible. Excellent. Well, let's uh, let's have a listen for ourselves. This is uh, by our guest, Andrew Willis, from two mm -hmm. films. We're going to first play the cue from 29 Needles, and then the second cue will be from the recent project called Citizen Sleuth. Sit back, relax, and enjoy.
Andrew, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed our chat. Um, I'm, I'm kind of Good, curious how do uh, how do people stay in touch with you? Are you kind of into social media, and do you you know have a way that I'm people a, can follow yeah, what you got yeah. going on? Yeah, I have a website, uh, pandrewwillis.com, and uh, I'm on Instagram and. Uh, Twitter and all that stuff. I'm not very active on Twitter, but Instagram is a good place to find me. I, I post about my projects there. And uh, yeah, that's got, it. Got anything in the pipeline that you're going to, that you're working on or, or uh... I am working right now on to circle back to the Nino Rota uh, segment, a uh, animated short about a fashion designer uh, who named Elsa Schiaparelli who was a friend with the Surrealists. Uh, and it's 10 minutes, it's sort of a cartoon biopic of her. And the music is pretty, you know, it's taking that Nino Rota into the Surrealistic world a little bit. I mean, we're, we're running with that a little bit. I got to do some vocals on this, which I always enjoy. Oh, cool, that's great. Yeah, that's a couple great. other I, things in the pipeline later in the year, but that's that's what I'm working on now. Right, right, right. Well, I, I want to encourage our guest to uh, keep in touch and uh, see what he's got going on because he's obviously a very innovative and prolific uh, composer. And, and Andrew, listen, <laughs> I, I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. Frank, I had a great time, and I can't thank you enough for having me. I appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Listen, uh, I want to again thank Andrew for uh, joining us on the program today, and also uh, all of our listeners for that matter, and especially our patrons who listen 
uh, to us and support the program through patreon.com. I hope if you enjoy the program that you'll continue to support us through that uh, if you have a chance to do so. Um, With that, I guess there's only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank R. Wilson. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?